This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Looking forward to our D-Day coverage on the show today. 75 years ago today, June 6th, 1944. What solemn remembrance we have going on in France today after the Allied landings in Normandy 75 years ago, the largest seaborne military invasion in world history. Maybe that will be a, a mark that will stand forever. It was the beginning, of course, of the liberation of Nazi-occupied Europe. 156,000 Allied troops hit the beaches in Normandy, France, 75 years ago today, including, of course, thousands of Canadians. They've called it the longest day. And by the end of it, the Allies had a foothold in France, and that was the beginning of the end for the Nazis. Within 11 months, they were defeated. The war was over. It's been an amazing couple of days, I think, in England and France with the the solemn remembrance ceremonies. I just think it was the uh, events yesterday in England were really terrific. I think Canadians can be super proud of everything that our veterans did and and to see those surviving veterans these guys now in their 90s uh, still there and on d-day remembrance day those beautiful old guys i mean that just that just moves me it's just so heartwarming and uh, we must never forget so here's your hot question of the day on the 75th anniversary of d-day are we doing enough to teach our kids the history of d-day and all the other wartime sacrifices that were made by earlier generations would you say that yes enough is being done this is taught in our school system and we're doing a good job of it or do you think no we need to do more we need to educate our kids more about the sacrifices that were made by what was called the greatest generation in the past so here's how you can vote on that today at cknw on twitter you'll find the question there when you're there, please give me a follow. Mike Smith News on Twitter, S M Y T H, at Mike Smith News on Twitter. Also, phone me on the buzz line today about the D Day celebrations today or anything else that you hear on the, sh- the program today. 604 331 Buzz is the number to call. 604 331 288. Nine nine. Let's talk about that mother of all house parties that went down Saturday night in Anmore now. Normally a quiet community north of Port Moody on the shores of Indian Arm. It was anything but on Saturday night. What a rager at a rented mansion there Saturday. This is not a bunch of teenagers cranking up dad's stereo. This thing was off the hook. 330 people. Lamborghinis, Maseratis, booze, drugs, and the helicopters. Yes, helicopters landing in the backyard. Police, fire, and paramedics are called to the scene. There was one non-fatal drug overdose. It was all thoroughly documented on social media, of course. Here's a little of the party vibe. <laughs> Woo! Happy birthday, Reese! Where is he? Where is he? Right there! 
Okay, there's a couple ways to look at this, right? You could say, what's the big deal? It's just a party, no big whoop. Or you could be mad as hell about it. John McEwen is the mayor of Enmore. He was on the show yesterday. He is not happy. I just finished mowing my own lawn on Saturday at about 5 o'clock and then uh, heard a helicopter very low hovering above. I thought initially it was something to do with the search and rescue, but... uh, then the phone started to light up, and I got a notification from the volunteer fire department that uh, there had been a drug overdose, and a call had been sent out. So um, then the neighbors started to to call me, going, "What was going on here, and if this was authorized?" Which it definitely wasn't. Okay, the mayor said the community also may look at amending local bylaws about rented houses. Here he is again. That's what we're definitely going to be looking at because that's not the type of community that we have. Um, we didn't think it was much of a problem, but obviously from from this, what's happened here, obviously we need to make sure that there is absolutely no uh, opportunity to do this. I think the challenge as well is with the real estate market, leaving some of these homes open, the rental agencies are very aggressive as to uh, as long as they can get money for the rentals, that's how they get paid. So we uh, we as a community are going to do our best to make sure that Everybody is well aware of the permitted uses of these houses. Okay, let's talk now to the guy who threw the party. His name is Justin Plaus. He owns a public relations company, among other pursuits. He joins me now on the phone. Hi, thanks for coming on. Hey, brother. Okay, thanks, man. Tell me about this party now. What what was this thing? Like, is this a birthday party, like some people said, or was it a publicity stunt? I mean, what was it? Well, it was basically uh, just a networking frenzy, just a bunch of people uh, in a couple of industries getting together. A really good uh, buddy of mine uh, had a birthday, so we just decided to make it a birthday party and a little networking frenzy. Okay, okay. Yeah, frenzy, I guess, is a good descriptor of it. I mean, you had 330 people there. Is that how many people you invited, or did this thing get out of control on you? No, we invited 400. Only only 350-some showed up, or 333 showed up. Okay, did you tell the neighbors this was going to go on? Did you give them advance warning? Of course, of course. I got somebody to walk around the neighborhood. We we gave them a letter, gave them my personal phone number, and gave everybody a six-pack of beer, told them to come over if uh, if they wanted to. Did any of them take up your offer? Yes. What I had did- uh, three, three older gentlemen come over and somebody's kids. I guess the guy that's on uh, CTV said that there was a boat. Okay, you just heard the comments of the mayor there. He says this party is unacceptable. City council is going to review the the police report, make take steps to make sure you don't pull a stunt like this again. He also said that uh, he's going to complain to Transport Canada about the helicopters. Are you worried about that? No, no. Uh, Transport Canada is fully aware that we didn't break any laws, and for the term being unacceptable, um, I don't expect them to want to accept it. So, I mean, yeah, it's unacceptable, but we didn't break any laws. We're all within uh, community standards, so, uh, yeah. What What do you say to the mayor, though? He's not happy. Um, like I said in a couple other interviews, I'll be issuing a statement, uh, and a letter of an apology um, to him and city council for any dis- disturbances that may have caused. All right, the Vancouver Sun reports this morning that one of the people at your party, Justin, was a guy named Skeeter Russell, who is a convicted drug dealer and a helicopter pilot. He posted a photo of himself on social media posing beside one of these choppers. Was he at the party? Did he fly that helicopter into the backyard? Yeah, I don't know about the character references, if those are true. I can't confirm or deny. But, yeah, he did fly the helicopter. Um, I was only brought into light of the other situations yesterday, and I've been so busy I haven't had time to... uh, 
to look into it. So he's a but, he's a he's a friend of yours, is he? Skeeter Russell? Uh, I would say an acquaintance. Um, wasn't really first name or familiar with his face until the party. So I'd say an, uh, an acquaintance. Tell me about this house. This is, you don't own this house, right? You rented the house. Yeah, I rented the house. Eighty eight hundred square feet. The pool won an award. Um, beautiful home. Okay, where did how did you rent the house? Did you get it on Airbnb or what? No, no, it was just a rental company. Uh, moved up here from Edmonton, needed to rent a place. Uh, that was one of the ones that caught my eye, so we applied and we got it. What's the name of the rental company? I don't know. <laughs> Come on, what do you mean know. you don't know? I don't know. I don't know who it is. You don't know or you just don't want to tell me? Both. <laughs> okay. All right, look. How long did you have a lease for this place? I mean, did you just rent it for the one night, or how long were you there for? Uh, we had a lease for a year. Um, I wanted to move out, so we gave our notice. Uh, they agreed, and then I wanted to throw the event, so I let them know, and then they agreed again. Threw the event, moved out. End of a chapter. So you're not there anymore. You've you've picked up and moved on from there now. No, um, I'm in the middle of opening up a storefront. So I've downsized, and then I'm gonna I'm going to expand. So right now I'm just retooling everything because I've got a lot of exposure, looking to hire some people and uh, make some money off this since the okay, party look, was free. It looks like a big monster house there, pretty impressive looking mansion. How how much is the rent? Well, the rent was only 8000 bucks, and then we had to pay seven fifty for a lawn guy and four fifty for a pool guy. So around 9200 bucks, probably three or $4,000 for bills. So she's a third. Like, you know, she's a $13,000 touch. Okay, like $8,000 to rent it for a month or yeah. Yeah, a, month? a month? Okay, all right. Is, yeah. there any dam- is there any damage to the house? No, there's no damage. I had full control of that party. I'm six foot four and I'm a boss. There's no way anyone's going to do anything to my house. What about the mayor saying all these exotic cars are racing up and down the street, all these Lamborghinis and Maseratis on a, on a street where kids play road hockey? I'll give him a check for $1,000 if he gives me a video of a Lamborghini racing down that street. So there were there were super souped-up cars there, but they weren't street racing then, you're saying? No. Where, where, where are you going to race a Lamborghini on a street where there's five stretch lim- lim- limousines on it? Let's be realistic here. Okay, what about this person What about this person who OD'd on drugs at the party? What happened there? Uh, obviously, he came to the party, had a little bit too much fun. Um, it got a little bit dangerous. I was prepared for it. We had uh, two needles to tra- counteract the drugs. We ended up using both of them because he was a big dude. Um, called the ambulance. Ambulance and fire truck came. That's why they came. Um, he ended up coming to and then signing off um, on his own. Uh, yeah, on his own right to to. to uh, okay. Take care so, of himself. Yeah, he signed off, so, um, so when, they when let you, him stay. So when you say you had, uh, you were ready for something like that, you had needles, but you mean you had a, a, a naloxone kit ready to go in case somebody OD'd? Two of them. Okay, is he okay now, the guy who OD'd? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's fine. He'll be fine. What 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 is this? What was the purpose of this? Is it like a publicity stunt, or how would you describe it? We just did it just to have a good time. It kind of turned into a publicity stunt and we're running with it, but like that was never the case to get all of this exposure. We're just using it to yeah. our advantage now. Yeah, we, we're, we're just a bunch of cool, fun guys, man. We just like to party. Okay, we're, we're, you're now saying you're going to throw another one, right? Oh, yeah. 
bigger, badder, more fun, more crazy, more exposure than ever before. Um, we've got uh, a couple of guys brainstorming right now some ideas. They're absolutely retarded. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I've got some really good ideas. and Let's just say that uh, it'll make a monster truck look small. Monster truck? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, got, we got some good ideas. I don't know if you want to advertise it to everybody yet, but uh, it, we're definitely planning more things like this. We want to bring the community together, um, show everybody a good time, and create some positive news. And, then, and you're going to do it like at another rental property, I assume? Uh, yeah, we're talking with, uh, with some mayors, see if we can get some permits or see how big or bad or fun we can have. So, yeah, we're, we're in talks with a lot of people right now. Um, trying to get venues and, and whatever else. So, yeah, the the, new, the next party's already trying to be set up, so keep your ears open. What what mayors are you talking to? Uh, I'm in contact with uh, Anmore and Belkera. So, Anmore? We're, we're, this, guy, yeah. this guy doesn't want to see your face around there again. He's mad as hell. <laughs> well, we're, we're looking at Belkera. <laughs> Belkera, okay. Fair warning to Belkera there. All right, Justin, thanks for coming on, man. All right, brother. Have a good day. All right, Justin Plaus. He's the guy who threw this rager on Saturday night. Let's talk about that controversial bylaw in the city of Penticton, where city council voted five to two now to amend the good neighborhood bylaw. This gives police and bylaw enforcement officers the power to hand out a one hundred dollar fine for anyone who's sitting on the sidewalk. The city council said they were sick and tired of people on the sidewalk uh, blocking people trying to get by, businesses trying to run a business, there's people loitering outside of their business on the sidewalk. We have seen this in many different municipalities and communities around British Columbia, but the city of Penticton taking direct action on it, and it's been controversial. Some people think that this is targeting the homeless or the less fortunate. There have been protests in Penticton about this bylaw. Have a listen to this. This is Debbie Scarborough. She was one of these uh, uh, sidewalk protest participants. You're handing out fines for people that may not have the means to pay it. You're using our tax dollars to have our bylaws officers going up and down fining when they could be doing so many other things. Okay, let's talk about this now because uh, certainly can see both sides of it. Anthony Haddad is with me now. He's the Penticton Director of Development Services, and I'm very pleased he could take the time today. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for coming on. Why, why did the city decide to do this? So over the past few years, we've had a number or increased number of calls for service around uh, increased undesirable activity and obstructions along downtown sidewalk areas. We've just gone through a really strong period of growth uh, and economic development around uh, downtown revitalization strategies, which really aim to increase pedestrian traffic downtown, increase the use of sidewalks through cafes space, retail space, art space outdoor activation, those sort of things which we've seen uh, the community and business community really take up over the past few years. But uh, with uh, some of the act, uh, under, more undesirable activity taking place downtown and the limited sidewalk widths that we have now that we have this action-packed sidewalk activity uh, on the business side of things, uh, we see some conflicts exist. And the bylaw that we brought forward was uh, was intended or is intended to deal with those obstructions that may exist in certain areas, a very small portion of the downtown community. 
Okay, is this a situation like homeless people sleeping on the sidewalk, or what is the situation that's the problem? No, so there's uh, there's been a number of uh, questions around uh, the intent of the bylaw, and certainly yeah. uh, nothing to do with the homeless issue. We're actually dealing with that through a number of other means with significant amount of housing that the city's approved, supportive housing, uh, community support, partnerships with social service organisations as well. So absolutely nothing to do with the, the homeless issue. The, uh, the the biggest concern that we have around uh, the need to create this bylaw was the obstructions. We have uh, about 20, 25% of the city's population lives in and around the downtown. So an increased use of the sidewalk space by our new residents, existing residents, businesses. As I said earlier, uh, we've seen a lot of activity uh, with businesses um, really activating their facades. And with the limited space that we have on the sidewalks with the increased usage, uh, trying to make it available for everyone, yeah. remove obstructions, uh, allow right. seniors to get around. It's really trying to make a, that space available for everyone. And, and where, if there is an obstruction, we now have a tool to deal with it uh, so in the appropriate way. What are people doing? I mean, what is the problem? Like people are sitting down on the sidewalk, lying down on the sidewalk. So what there'd be uh, sidewalk uh, obstructions. There'd be uh, individuals uh, that have blocked access to businesses. Uh, and we've heard a significant amount of concern from our business community as well, which yeah. was one of the other triggers to move this bylaw forward. Okay, this bylaw passed by a five to two vote at City Council. What's been the reaction from the public that you've heard on this? So we've heard significant support for the for the bylaw because I think there's there's recognition of uh, the its intent and uh, the the way it would uh, would be implemented as well. And there's uh, there's obviously been some discussion around uh, fines. And with any new bylaw in any community, uh, there is a need to create a fine as an enforcement mechanism. Um, but the approach that we're looking at taking is uh, obviously one more of uh, discretion around, uh, like like any municipality does, they have discretion around implementing their bylaws. The goal of the new bylaw is uh, first, obviously, to educate the public and seek voluntary compliance where there's an issue uh, or an obstruction that may take place in one of the one of the streets that the bylaw applies to. Um, the majority of people typically we see with any bylaws are willing to comply uh, once they're explained the intent or purpose of the bylaw. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, this bylaw is intended to, to keep people moving along and uh, deal with those obstructions from a liability perspective. Right. Uh, municipalities uh, certainly deal with uh, the cost of trip and falls and those sort of things. So that side of things uh, certainly uh, is intended to be protected, okay. or protecting the wider community uh, through this bylaw as well. Ha have any tickets been issued so far? No, and there's there's no intention to issue any tickets. As, as I said, it's a progressive enforcement process. Uh, there's ability for compliance agreements to be put in place, but it's a it's a staged approach. Obviously, education, ensuring compliance where we can, a uh, number of requests, verbal warnings before we get anywhere near uh, fining or uh, that the end of that approach. Okay, so you would people get a warning first. Yeah, correct. So the, yeah. the 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 big focus is going to be around education, especially in the, the first uh, uh, first stages of implementation of this new bylaw. And again, like any bylaw we have in Penticton, there's a big education component we have out in the community. Our bylaw team work closely with social service organisations. So if there's a mental health issue, for example, the bylaw officer obviously obviously not going to find that individual. They'll like they do uh, uh, already, we get in contact with that social service organization. Uh, there are better uh, mechanisms and better uh, uh, organizations to deal with some of the issues we see downtown as opposed to uh, handing out fines. Okay. Is it working? I mean, do you see improved conditions? 
So um, the the uh, we ha- we uh, the, it was approved on Tuesday last week. So we're uh, in the very early stages of uh, implementing the bylaw. Um, the uh, increased pedestrian traffic uh, we're seeing certainly downtown is there. Increased tourist season that's uh, in uh, in the process of ramping up uh, will uh, will increase as well. So it's something we're going to certainly monitor over the next year. And uh, like we do with all okay. of our bylaws, we certainly update council. Uh, at the end of the year in terms of the number of infractions, if there are any at all. Okay, I'm speaking to Anthony Haddad from the city of Penticton about the city's new bylaw against sitting down or blocking the sidewalk. Uh, just looking at some of the comments from councillors that did not support the bylaw, Councillor Julius Bloomfield saying she voted against the bylaw um, because felt that maybe the city was not doing enough to help homeless people on the street and wondering whether you're bringing the hammer down before you actually help people how do you respond to that oh for sure no there was uh there was a lot of questions and uh, concerns in the community around uh, i think ultimately when you create a bylaw there's uh there's a perception that uh, enforcement is going to come down hard uh yeah. on that but uh, the city's actually done a significant amount of work over the last few years to deal with a obviously on more of a compassionate side of things. We've got a community active support table which has helped uh, and housed over 50 of the most at-need individuals in the community through a multi-agency approach where we have our RCMP and bylaw teams at the table with those social service organisations. So 50 individuals have been taken off the streets and housed in the appropriate uh, locations. We have a number of partnerships uh, with social service organisations. Uh, 100 Homes Penticton is an organisation that our city planning okay. department has been working closely with uh, that have housed over 130 people. So there's, uh, there's a variety of approaches to deal with the homeless issue um, that the city's been extremely active and invested a significant amount of money on and will continue to. Uh, but the bylaw that's been brought forward certainly isn't intended to address homelessness. That's not uh, uh, absolutely right. nothing to do with that issue. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Anytime. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Anthony Haddad, Penticton Director of Development Services there. Let's return to a topic now that we discussed uh, earlier on the show this week, and that is how many birds are being killed by domestic cats in Canada. When you take a look at the numbers on this, this might surprise you. It is an absolute slaughter out there. I mean, there's so many birds being killed by domesticated cats is incredible. I told the story earlier this week of my buddy's cat. I mean, this cat was a stone-cold killer. This cat was like the John Wick of cats. It would just take down bird after bird. Even when he put a little bell on its collar to try and stop the slaughter, it learned how to work, move more silently and quietly to keep the bell from ringing, and the slaughter just continued. Have a listen to this report now by Global News reporter Jacques Bourbeau. Don't be fooled by their cuddly exterior. Beneath, the fur and whiskers beats the heart of a cold-blooded killer. Cats are efficient hunters, birds one of their favorite prey. And a new study by Environment Canada shows just how skilled they are, estimating cats are killing 200 million birds in Canada each year. We're quite sure that somewhere those impacts that are caused by cats are focusing in on certain species of birds and causing some severe problems, probably population declines. For cat owners, it's hard to reconcile their pet may be responsible for so much mayhem. Well, they're doing what their um, history is, that they go out and they hunt. Ours have been very good. Um, this year, I think they've only killed two. 
The study says its best estimate is that 270 million birds are dying each year because of human-related causes. Besides cats, which are the biggest killer, the other culprits are tall buildings, power lines, cars, and trucks. The study's authors admit the science is inexact, and these are crude estimates. But what you can't dispute, say the experts, is this is a significant problem. We used to hear the whippoorwill in, in in the summertime, as it was calling. Um, you no longer hear that. There's very few places, for example, in Ontario, where you can still find breeding whippoorwill. Canada's bird population is massive, estimated at 10 billion. So losing 270 million birds a year is not catastrophic. But for these birders gathered at the edge of the Ottawa River, catching a glimpse of the rare Eurasian widgeon. We should never take these creatures for granted. These birds have been around a lot longer than we have, so hopefully they'll be able to adapt to uh, to situations. But we're certainly not making it easy for them. With all this talk of dead birds, this video showing an eagle swooping through the French Alps is a reminder of the soaring majesty, the acrobatic grace that we can all too easily lose. Okay, 200 million birds a year are getting taken down. By domestic cats. Now, how can we reduce that slaughter? How about maybe keep your cat indoors? Let's check in with Stephen Hazel now. He's the director of policy and the general counsel at Nature Canada. They have a campaign called "Keep Cats Safe and Save Birds' Lives," and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Stephen, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Mike.、Um, look, you got it right.、Um, cats are at risk outside, and and they do kill a lot of birds. The answer is to ensure that if, when they are outdoors, they're supervised, and there's a there's a big there's a there's a trend towards that among can owners across Canada. I mean, we did a stir- survey that showed that 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 the, the percentage of, Can- of Canadians who keep their cats、um, supervised、uh, when they're outside is up to seventy two percent. So most Canadian cat owners are are doing the right thing. We just got to work on the other 28 percent. Plus, we have to work on the issue of feral cats because、yeah. feral cats kill more、um, kill more birds than、um, than owned cats do. Okay, how do you supervise a cat when you let it outside? Well, there's a, there's a number there's a number of ways to do it, and I know it.、Uh, well, there's not, I'll just say there's a number of ways to do it.、Uh, there's You can use harnesses on them and take your cat for a walk. That works for some cats. You can have what are called catios on your property, cat fencing. There's enclosures, cat walks, and tents. There's there are those sorts of options uh, for uh, you know for, for cat owners who want their cats、uh, to take their cats outside supervised. But but the, what, the, what cats don't need to hunt. What they need is to be kept、uh, entertained. And so there's lots of ways that you can keep your cat entertained inside. I mean, p- giving them window perch,、um, scratching posts, providing catnip, playing with them for ten or fifteen minutes a day. I mean,、yeah. those are all ways in which you can you can keep your 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 cat healthy, keep it mentally healthy,、uh, without necessarily having to go outside. So so、yeah. those are those are some of the some of the alternatives that that we've been thinking about in our in our coalition. Okay, talking to Stephen Hazel from Nature Canada about、uh, cats killing birds. Like one of the things I kind of like about your campaign is you point out that there's a risk to the cats when they're outdoors too, right? It's not just the birds that are getting killed. I mean, sometimes there are dangers to cats when they're outside too, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean,、yeah. cats. 
outdoor cats don't live as long as indoor cats. They get hit yeah. by cars. They get into fights with other cats and dogs. They get gobbled up by coyotes. They get diseases. They get lost. And, and that yeah. one is, is really kind of sad because the, um, the shelters report that about 68% of dogs that are kind of abandoned or lost actually get picked up by their owners, but only 10% of, of lost cats do. Mm. So people seem to care more about their dogs than about their cats. And part of what we're trying to do in Cats and Birds is to, uh, is to sort of elevate the status of cats so that people care mo- as much about their cats as they do about their dogs. Okay. In that report we just heard, we, we heard an extraordinary number there, the estimated number of birds being killed by domestic cats every year in Canada, 200 million. There's been some even larger estimates than that. What kind of impact does that have on bird populations in Canada? I mean, is 200 million a sustainable number, or are, there, are any of these birds uh, vulnerable, uh, particularly sp- uh, some species of birds, vulnerable? Well, yes, absolutely some are. I mean, so the, the, the per- percentage of the bird population that are killed every year is, is between 2 and 7%. So that's a wide range. But even at the low end, that's a lot of birds dying. When you combine that with habitat loss and climate change, it's a real problem. And it's, 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 it's a problem for certain species of birds. Like about 100 species of birds in Canada are more susceptible to cat predation. And they're the ones that you know, that people tend to like, like goldfinches and chickadees and swallows and meadowlarks and cardinals and, and the one mentioned in your article, the whippoorwill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're not so, so much worried about the crows and the, you know, the, the, the smart corvids can take care of themselves, but some of these other birds are, are much more at risk. So, yes, um, you know, over time, the um, this will have an impact. And we do know that that for that songbird populations uh, are are falling dramatically. There's a there's a study that's going to be released in the next week or so called the State of Canada's Birds, uh, which which underlines underlines that fact that certain categories of bird species like um, aerial insectivores, the swallows, etc., are in particular trouble. Do some cities have local bylaws or rules on unsupervised outdoor cats? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Victoria, for example, has yeah. got a uh, uh, supervised uh, cat bylaw. Calgary's got a, a good uh, set of laws. There are a number of cities across Canada that have these bylaws that basically treat cats the same as dogs are. Uh, but Vancouver doesn't. So what's up with that? Hmm. Okay, we had an earlier segment this week on the show, Stephen, with, uh, with some really interesting research being done here in British Columbia about the effectiveness of high-visibility collars around outdoor cats. I don't know if you've ever seen these, but it looks like it almost looks like a hair scrunchie that you put around your cat's uh, neck, and it looks kind of goofy because it's this sort of multicolored, sort of rainbow-pattern collar that sticks out, and, it, and the, cat, <laughs> the cat looks a little silly. But um, the theory is that the birds, it helps the birds see the cat coming at it. Uh, you, yeah. uh, is, are those effective? Well, um, my understanding is is that there is, there is some benefit of, for birds from doing that. Just as yeah. there, you know, sometimes bells um, can have some beneficial effect, but but they don't they don't help out the cat. The cat's still outside. It's still subject to being predated on by coyotes. It still get they still get run over by cars. So 
I mean, those sorts of solutions help the birds, and that's, you know, Nature Canada, that's what, I guess, our primary concern. But we also, we also, we want, you know, cat owners to have, uh, so that we want their cats to live as long as possible as well. So Right, right. So your message to cat owners is don't let your cat outside unsupervised just to run wild. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. And there are things that you can do to make sure that your, your cat remains healthy. There are issues with older cats, like no doubt about it. Once they're, you know, they're, they're set in their ways, it's, it's much harder, definitely. But, uh, but for most cats, there, 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 there are solutions. And you can just go on um, our website, the, the, well, catsandbirds.ca, and there's, there's lots of interesting stuff there. Stephen, thanks for coming on. Jesus, my pleasure. Okay, I appreciate it. Stephen Hazel. He is the Director of Policy at Nature Canada. A solemn remembrance today as the world looks back and honors the heroes of June 6, 1944, D-Day. Today is the 75th anniversary of the Allied landings in Normandy, France, the largest seaborne military invasion in world history, the beginning of the liberation of Nazi-occupied Europe. 75 years ago today, 156,000 Allied troops hit the beaches of Normandy, including, of course, thousands of Canadians. It's been called the longest day. By the end of it, the Allies had established a foothold in France. Within 11 months, the Nazis were defeated and the war was over. What an absolutely remarkable couple of days it has been in England and France as the world remembers D-Day today. Let's go to Normandy, France right now and check in with Global News Chief Correspondent David Aiken in France. Hi, David. Hey, Mike. Yeah, and you set that up beautifully. And, you know, just because Canadians like to know about the weather, let's do a weather check. Back then on June 6, 44, stormy seas. We know that the invasion was postponed by a day because of storms. Stormy seas, cold. Once they did get on the beach, the rains opened up, and it was, it was a quagmire of mud. Today, gorgeous, sunny skies. I'm looking at the ocean right now just off the beach. It's calm as, uh, you know, calm as a lake anywhere and uh, super warm. So the gods are smiling today on many of the veterans from that invasion that made it here. And of course, there's a lot fewer of them every year, but there's still dozens who are on the beach today where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, French Prime Minister Edouard Philippe um, had a ceremony, uh, a Canadian-only ceremony to start the day. And later today, even more honor for Canada and Juneau Beach as the international ceremony will be held on our beach and not on Omaha or Utah, where the Americans invaded or soared and and uh, gold with the British invas- invaded, they'll all come to our beach, and people are setting up for that and uh, getting ready for the international ceremony a little later today. David, these ceremonies have looked absolutely awesome on, on television here the last couple of days. I think they've done a wonderful job over there with, with the ceremonies. What are your thoughts as you watch uh, Canada honor our veterans, and you see these beautiful old guys who are still around, like you say, less and less of them every year, but it's wonderful to see the ones who are still there. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps, quite frankly, and I'm, e- I'm easily goosebumpable when we're talking about our veterans. I mean, every year I'm at the National War Memorial in Ottawa with, happily now, it's uh, an event where it's 35, 40,000 people attend, and it just is, it's, it sends chills up and down your spine to think of the sacrifice and the courage um, of the quote-unquote greatest generation. And then to be in England yesterday, we were in Portsmouth, where the Canadians boarded uh, their ships. They, they boarded in Portsmouth and Southampton in the south of England. That's where we had a ceremony last night with the Queen was there presiding. 
singing God Save the Queen with the woman herself in the room. It was kind of something else. And, of course, she's part of the greatest generation herself. That's even more remarkable, that she, she was training to be an army driver and mechanic when the war ended. That's, wow. the, you know, you just think how remarkable her reign is. So that was last night. And then, as Canadians did 75 years ago, the prime minister, is, along with those covering him, we woke up this morning in England very early, 4 in the morning, and we traveled here to France. Of course, we did it a lot easier than they did 75 years ago, and, of course, no one was shooting at us when we uh, we arrived. Uh, so so it has been a very special two days. And I should point out, too, it, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Trudeau, you know, making sure that this is an event for all Canadians, and he signaled that by inviting the leaders or representatives of uh, other parties. So uh, not all leaders could attend. Uh, Andrew Scheer, for example, the Conservative leader, uh, he's got in-laws getting honorary degrees back at the University of Regina this week. So I uh, hear there's a couple of conservative MPs, but uh, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, traveled with the prime minister, and he was here today, uh, as did the leader of the Bloc Québécois. Uh, uh, he's here. Elizabeth May as well, also busy. But uh, certainly MPs and senators uh, were present, um, as I said, were, of course, uh, many veterans. It was interesting also, David, to see our Governor General Julie Payette there, and people may not be aware that she's officially the Commander-in-Chief of our Armed Forces, isn't she? Yeah, she is, and you know what? Yeah, you're right. She was here in, on Juneau Beach for this morning, and right now she's hightailing it to Halifax. She's going back across the Atlantic. You know, the time change will work for her here. It's Because uh, don't forget, it's about, uh, what time is it now? It's almost 5 o'clock here in uh, at Juneau Beach, She's on her way to Halifax, where she's going to do another D-Day commemoration ceremony a little later today in Halifax, because, of course, that's where Canadians, no matter where they were from, whether they were from British Columbia or Alberta or Saskatchewan, you went to Halifax to get on the boat that was going to take you across the Atlantic and then eventually take you to D-Day. So that's uh, what she's doing, a busy day for, you're right, our uh, Commander-in-Chief, Julie Payette. I thought the uh, ceremonies yesterday in Portsmouth, England, were really terrific as well, David, and... It, I thought it was great that Trudeau was able to comment on the raid on Dieppe, which was a disastrous event in in history, uh, a failed a failed invasion attempt. A lot of Canadian a lot of Canadians killed in that event, but that was kind of a cr- a critical precursor to to the success on D Day, right? You are absolutely right. And in fact, that was one of the really I think uh, unique and valuable aspects of yesterday's ceremony in that it wasn't just about D-Day. It was about the years and the battles leading up to D-Day. And in that context, that's where our Prime Minister was noting the exploits of a Victoria Cross, Canadian Victoria Cross winner on Dieppe, because you're right, even though Dieppe was a bloody and costly military failure on its own, the lessons the Allies learned in that raid, first of all, let's not attack a port. Let's attack somewhere where there's right. not a port, and that is the, the Normandy coast. Bring our own port. They brought these these you know, incredible engineering feats, portable harbors called mulberries. They towed them over. So don't attack a port. And if we do attack, we need overwhelming air superiority and naval superiority. And of course, the, 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 you know, we had, by the time we came to D-Day, we had absolute dominance of the skies. The Luftwaffe was a pale shell of itself. We absolutely commanded the seas, thousands of ships, Canadian destroyers among them. And you know, here's another story that not a lot of people know about, but Canadian minesweepers. I think there was, uh, what, about eight or nine Canadian minesweepers played an absolutely vital role clearing the mines, the lanes, for all the Allied invasion force to go through. And they were told, uh, that this, the minesweeper crews were told, the odds are pretty good that the, the, the Germans are going to pick you off 
we expect wow. maybe none of you to come back. And if your boat gets sunk, we're just pushing you to a side because there's an armada right behind. So sorry, that's, that's your lot. And as it turns out, every single minesweeper and crew uh, survived. Some with a little bit of damage, but they went into it knowing they, may, they were going to suffer serious losses. That's what they were told. They did their duty anyhow, and all of them survived. It's one of the great news, sort of good news stories uh, of D-Day, of our Canadian minesweeping crew. David, just lastly, speaking to David Aiken, Global News Chief Correspondent in Normandy, France, right now. D- David, what's it like there at Juneau Beach? Can you describe a little bit what it's like for our listeners? That you're just, as you mentioned, it's such a beautiful day there. But when, when people go there to visit, are, are there memorial markers there? What, what is it like there? Yeah, there is. And then if you, it's not like really the Pacific, it's an Atlantic Coast beach. So it's not like a Pacific Coast beach uh, in, in that sense. It's very much, if you do have traveled on the Atlantic seaboard, You've traveled in Nova Scotia. You've traveled in Charlottetown. It's got a very similar flavor to it. A flat beach, then there's some dunes uh, behind it, and then you've got some vegetation growing on those dunes. And, yes, around here there's a wonderful interpretive center, a whole museum that really just, I think it opened up in 2013. Um, You will find the German uh, fortifications buried into the sand. There are interpretive markers. It's really uh, just an outstanding sort of interpretive center now. Uh, but again, as you, as you look at it right now, it's just so peaceful. It's like, let's go vacationing on the beach here. Um, but of course, it was a scene of one of the bloodiest uh, battles, uh, obviously, in, in modern history. Um, and now a great center for teaching. Uh, and today, as I mentioned, sunny, very calm, waves lapping so gently at the shore. It's, uh, it's just incredible. David, beautiful job. I really envy you being there today on, on such a, an, an amazing day to remember the heroes of 75 years ago. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, happy to. No problem. Have a great, have a great day, Mike. All right. Same to you. That's David Aiken. He's Global News Chief Correspondent in Normandy, France today, marking the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings 75 years ago today. Let's talk a little real estate now. If we take a look at the greater Vancouver real estate market continuing to go through a pretty major uh, correction here now with the average sale price for a detached home in the month of May, $1.5 million. Uh, That's the lowest price for May over the past five years. The peak was back in May 2017, $1.8 million dollars so the prices continue to go down the number of sales bumping up a little bit in may however far off the peak as well in terms of sales let's talk to the man who predicted a major correction in the real estate market here now dane itell the founder and lead analyst at itell insights dane thanks for coming on no problem mike i appreciate you guys getting the time for us yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So you predicted uh, a pretty big correction here in this housing market. Is this going along pretty much the way you thought it was going to happen? Absolutely. Um, so initially there in 2015 to 2016, the market went through an absolute ter- torrent pace. Um, yeah. We eclipsed old-time previous highs. The market initially peaked out at 1825000 in February of 2016. And as everybody kind of knows, we had a foreign buyer's tax announcement that Send some ripple effects through the market. Um, really short-term effects, as you've stated there in May of 2017, we were back up to all-time highs of 1830000 So, But the, the, the psychological factor of those prices shooting up that high kind of can't last forever. So on the market's own volition, we are entering into a, a, a cyclical event where, where we basically 
go into a, a short-term recession. Given the new factors, it's it's not such a short-term recession at all. Okay, are these is this correction pretty consistent across all regions of Metro? Yeah, right across the real estate board of Greater Vancouver. I mean, each area um, has its own momentum and its and its own technical indicating uh, paths that it does take. But on average, there's I believe only three winners um, out of all of the areas in Greater Vancouver that haven't seen prices dip below a ten percent mark. Some areas have already seen a lot further. But as an average, we're down roughly about you know fifteen percent from where we were um, at one point eight three zero. We're thirteen percent. Sorry. Okay, would you describe this as a bubble, or is this just kind of a, a an unexpected correction? You know, what goes up must come down, kind of thing, or is it more serious than that? It, it's what goes up must come down. However, um, there is a bubble aspect to it as well with this uh, the stress test that's in place. Yeah. My personal opinion: market cycles exist to benefit the next crew that's kind of trying to move up in a market. With this new oversight. It, when the market does dip and you, you have properties that are for sale at a discounted price, you literally can't buy it based on the stress test. So that, that yeah. will send this market into a further correction. We're uh, forecasting at the very least a 24% correction from top to bottom by 2021. Um, we will, we're expecting to see some significant movement by the first quarter of 2020. Now, why we get so specific with that kind of point in time is we've been on a 10-year uptrend, basically since the 2009 recession. Now, the average sale price is at $1,586,000 in May. That's coming close to that divergent trend that's playing out because we have that 10-year uptrend mixed with the topping out of the market in February and again in May of 2017 those prices have created a downtrend. And on our website, you can take a look and see visually what, we, uh, what we're pro- 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 proclaiming here. And when those two divergent trends meet is roughly in the first quarter. And um, as soon as you break a 10-year uptrend, you have a, a, a very solid downtrend that's established and that will have to be broken before the market can okay. regain any steam. Okay, speaking of real estate analyst, Dane, I tell about uh, the latest numbers on uh, Metro Vancouver real estate. I heard you mention the year 2021. So I, I, obviously, you don't think we're at the bottom yet. It could they could keep going down for another another two years. Absolutely. Um, so no, we're 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 not at the bottom for sure. Now th- there is some questions in the market. You know, it's seeming like it's starting to stabilize, and that's fine and fair. Um, we always like to say that that's what makes a bull and a bear. We just happen to be bearish from for our forecast going forward. Now, there's I mean, the inventory is continually climbing up. And the inventory numbers are basically just back to, you know, the past decade of nominal averages. So we're nowhere near a bad market as concerned as the inventory. Now, yes, sales completely fell off a cliff from 2016 to where they were. And once again, it's, it's technically charted predictability. Um, and so we have bounced out here in May. We saw average uh, or the sales in the detached market eclipse the past 12 months and there was 918 sales which is great fantastic however the inventory continues to climb and that may month is historically the real estate season's christmas so if that's kind of one of the best months we're getting it's 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 not the best sign to say that there's any reversal coming to this market momentum we believe it's headed lower longer okay if we're going to see more softening of of prices for a detached home 1.586 1.586 million right now. I mean, how low could it go? I mean, how, what what do you think an average detached home price could fall to? 
Well, once this uh, divergent trend, once the 10-year uptrend is broken, we're, uh, we're pretty confident that we're going to see 1.4 million even um, tested. That's a huge psychological price test that will occur. Um, so that's, that, that will occur, we believe, in 2020 after we break that trend. Um, that will put, basically push us back to early 2015 prices. Um, like I say, that, that, should, that would have held as the market bottom had we not had these interventions, I believe. Due to that, I think that we could maybe even eclipse that bottom threshold and go back into further previously established prices all the way down to 1.225. Now, if the detached market average sale price goes that low, that will be the bottom. Um, I don't really see any cause or effect that it could go any below that. But um, if 1.4 million, which is a 24% correction, doesn't hold, we will be testing the 31% correction of 1.225. It's it's pretty wild to think about the dimensions of this market when you hear a number like 1.2 million for a detached home and you think like wow what a bargain (laughs) it's an oddity (laughs) oh man like for a lot of people who are listening they might be thinking like you know how can anybody afford even that what about let's talk about condos for a minute because for a lot of people that's a more realistic goal maybe to be able to afford a condo Where, where do you see the condo market going right now um, similar. Uh, the, the condo market does usually lag. I mean, that's kind of historical evidence. So we're anticipating a bottom in 2022 for the condo market with a total correction of 30% from top to bottom. So that at the, the condo market top was 775,000 or 750,000, sorry. And uh, the bottom for the condo market will be an average sale price of 525,000. Now, the inventory is uh, a, 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 the biggest story, I guess, for the condo market. So over the past couple of years, we've, we've seen a ton of pre-sales. Um, those buildings are actually going to be completed in 2021 in a lot of cases. So the people that had invested and put maybe 15 20% down, once the market has realized the 30% loss, they may very well just walk away. Now, there was tons of wow. stories in 2016 where investors weren't just buying a single unit. They were buying five and six and eight at a time. So if that gentleman walks away or that gal walks away from their perceived loss rather than realizing their actual loss, which is, would be worse at that point in time, the developer will have to resell those properties. Um, and the properties that hadn't you know, already sold out in the pre-sale mode, they're still actively trying to get a bid. Um, they're offering free wine, <laughs> pretty much anything, new appliances for free, trying to get you into that pre-sale market. So wow. for, for the, you know, the first time in a home buyer that's looking to purchase a condo, our advice would be you have time to wait. Once again, um, each city is a little bit different. You know, not the average sale price for a detached home right across lower mainland isn't 1.5 right now. You have your West Vans uh, that carry a lot of weight but uh, for the individual areas we we advise everybody as well as to what the trends and the trajectory of each market is going okay dan thanks for coming on no problem mike i really appreciate the time and uh, we'll do it again sometime okay you bet yeah thank you dane itell he's with the lead analyst at itell insights think about this one now and get set to call me up in the open line about it too i want to hear from people on this have you ever worked in an office or any other kind of workplace where someone brought their pet to work like what if you had a co-worker uh, brought their dog to work would that be cool with you have you ever taken your own pet maybe your own dog 
uh, to the office and how did your co-workers think about that check this story out now the mayor of hamilton ontario this guy has been bringing his dog to work for some time he's got a golden doodle named dash and for years this dog has been a fixture around city hall in hamilton ontario is the mayor's dog and everybody seemed to kind of like this dog except for one staff person in there in the city hall who has now complained She's not happy that the dog is at the office, and she has filed a human rights complaint about it. Let's check in now with CKNW contributor Claire Allen, who's been following this story. Hi, Claire. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so you have outlined it pretty well. So the mayor of uh, Hamilton, his name is Fred Eisenberger, and he has a dog, a golden doodle, named Dash, that apparently... Everyone loved having at the office and he used to roam, Dash used to roam the office, you know, go around, see other employees and people were pretty, you know, happy with Dash's presence at the office. However, that all changed when a woman named Susan Creer was hired. Now she's a part-time worker at the, uh, at City Hall and she actually works for recreational services. So she's not actually at City Hall all the time, but she is terrified of dogs and she also says that she is allergic and asthmatic and she's complained several times about the mayor's personal pet being at city hall when she goes there and she said it all came to a head when she was at a meeting with the mayor and dash was there the golden doodle she complained but the mayor said don't worry about dash and your allergies my dog is hypoallergenic no word on if you know she really was suffering from allergies, but she was concerned that she potentially could. And she's also, like I said, terrified. So as you mm. said, yes, she filed a human rights complaint. She says that the mayor is using his position of power to flout the rules and allow Dash to just roam around and have free reign of the office despite her complaint. Now, staff has said that since you know they've become aware of her issue with Dash and other dogs, that uh, Dash has just been sort of sequestered to the mayor's glass office, but the complaint mm. is heading to the human tribunals, human rights tribunals. So we'll see what goes, what happens. But I am curious to see what people think about pets in offices. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. What do you think about this, Claire? Because you know I'm a dog guy, and we love our dog. And our dog, by the way, is a golden doodle. And this is probably one of the most lovable breeds of dog you could ever come across. They're so cute, and they are typically hypoallergenic too now it depends on the individual dog you people can be allergic even to a, a golden doodle dog but i got dog allergies and i remember when we got this dog i had to do the the sniff test to make sure you know i didn't start sneezing because if i did it was i was going to be the one leaving the house and not the dog i think but i can tolerate this dog and this is a very lovable dog but you know that's a tough one though if you have someone in the office who doesn't like the dog what do you do what are your thoughts on it well i am also a dog lover mike i have yeah. two dogs i would love to bring my dogs to the office here at uh, cknw but unfortunately the building that of which we work in uh the sort of operator of the building has forbid dogs from from coming during uh. regular office hours so you know my two dogs peachy and sashi they have to uh, spend the n- nine to five at home so uh that's too bad but are dogs allowed at the legislature, Mike? Have you ever seen a dog just, you know, hanging out, seeing what's all going on in the political no, world? No, I can't say that I have. I mean, obviously, a personal assistant dog, like, a you know, uh, for someone who's disabled, obviously, that's allowed. And I have seen that. But I haven't seen anyone bring their pets around, around to the building. But I would imagine that on a common sense level, I think you'd have to have 
100% buy-in among the staff, right? Like if everybody's agreed that they like the dog, they can tolerate the dog, and everyone's happy, then it's not a problem. But if you have one person who is unhappy, like this person, then there obviously is a problem. Right, exactly. Now, I know of a couple offices where there there are some people that do work different hours and there are sort of, they don't agree with dogs being at the office. So when that person's not there, that's when all the dogs come. So some people make, (laughs) make, you know, exceptions or they kind of bend the rules or try to work around, make a compromise for dog lovers. But, um, you know, I think at a city, at a building, like a city hall where it's not managed by um, a building uh, corporation, sort of like where we work, where it's kind of up to, like you say, the individuals, it's a tough one because this woman's only there, you know, she doesn't work there. She she comes for meetings, you know, and and she she's kind of saying that when I'm there, I don't want the dog there. And uh, it, I don't know. Mm. It's a very interesting one because a lot of people don't like pets in the office, and uh, and then you have a lot of people that do. So I'm very curious about this. I'm hoping that maybe you know we could use this case as an example, maybe here if we could get some dogs here. I'd like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But well, no. I'm not. I'm not sure it's a human rights case, though. I mean, she's going to the human rights commission because the mayor's got a dog there. I mean, you think there could be a little bit more of a reasonable accommodation or arrangement that could be made if one person's unhappy about this dog? Gonna, but if you are allergic to a dog, yeah, and your um, for your coworkers or your boss is not taking that into consideration. Is that a reason to go to the Human Rights Tribunal? I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I think that it is an interesting one. And I do think it is unfair if someone does have allergies that you just completely ignore their request to not have a dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that'll be very interesting to see what happens there, because if you have someone in your office that's allergic to a certain type of food and you're just repeatedly bringing that food all the time, that's an issue. Is it the same with the dog? That's right. That's why I think, you know, you got to have kind of a unanimous buy-in on something like that if there's one person who is allergic or has got some kind of phobia about dogs then i think you'd have to reasonably be sensitive and accommodating to a co-worker in, in that situation but i imagine i wonder if this woman's getting some if some people are unhappy with her especially if she's only around there a limited amount of time around city hall and she doesn't spend a whole lot of time there and everyone else loves this dog and now now she's making trouble for the dog that everybody loves. Oh, I imagine this is not boding well for yeah. making friends at the office. If yeah, you're going sure. against the dog that everyone loves and going to the Human Rights Tribunal, probably not great for winning friends and influencing people. Probably not. Probably <laughs> not. But on the other hand, I can kind of see her side of it too. All right, here's what we'll do. I'll jump in there. Open the phone lines, as promised, so I want to hear from you on this. Maybe you've got a personal story to share. Have you ever worked in an office where someone brought their dog around? Maybe you brought your dog to work. Maybe a coworker did. Did you have any problems with that? What do you think about this woman in uh, Hamilton City Hall saying she's terrified of dogs, she's allergic, she wants, she's gone to the Human Rights Commission in Ontario because of the mayor's dog there in Hamilton, Ontario, even though he's now saying, well, I'll keep the dog in the office when you're around. I guess that's not good enough for 